The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D. From Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Now, here's your host, Rev. Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of you for listening with us today. I'm very glad that you're here with us on Spirit of Recovery. As usual, we've got another great program for you, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Today, we're going to be focusing on uh, the special issues that women have in recovery and um, the very uh, natural ability that women do have to recover. So we'll be uh, focusing on that today. I want to thank all of you for uh, sending uh, emails. I love hearing from you. Thank you so much for liking Spirit of Recovery on Facebook. And uh, you can go to our Facebook page and do that. And also thanks for sending the messages and posting on Facebook. It's really great to hear from you and uh, to hear that you are getting a lot out of what we're doing here on Spirit of Recovery and also uh, for letting me know what's happening in your world and in your recovery. So keep that up and uh, we're just glad to hear from you. And also, I want to thank you for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, your other spiritual communities know about us here um, and what we're doing. It's great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery here on Unity Online Radio. And um, just a delight for me to be able to, to have the opportunity to do this. Every week, um, we have topics that are down-to-earth, that are important to the recovery community, and I always have guests that are knowledgeable that they're down-to-earth and they're innovative. Their guests are always people who are either in recovery themselves or who are working with or writing for recovering people and sometimes all of the above. They're always people who have spiritual insights, who have recovery insights, who have practical tip and lots of hope and inspiration and um, just uh, lots to share about uh, the practicality of spirituality and recovery and how those work together. And our discussions also are lively and get you thinking perhaps about some new ways of thinking about recovery and get you uh, opened up to some new avenues of inspiration and hope. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. That if you're a person who's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're the family member um, or friend of somebody that has the disease of addiction, uh, perhaps you're in your own recovery as a family member or a friend um, or not, it doesn't matter. Whoever you are, wherever you are, we're very glad to have you here with us listening and participating if you have a question or a comment for my guest here on The Spirit of Recovery. Maybe you're just somebody that's curious about uh, the process of recovery, and you are certainly welcome here as well. I want you to know that you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. Of course, you can listen through your computer. You can listen live. You can listen through your smartphone. You can uh, listen to archives on demand. We've got a couple of years of great archived programs at um, www.com unityonlineradio.org and backslash spirit of program backslash spirit of recovery so you can find us easily if you go to the unity online radio website and uh, listen on demand to the archives that we've got 
Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor. I'm also a person that has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that do have the disease of addiction. And uh, many years ago, those relationships propelled me into an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And I'm so so very grateful for that. So my uh, life walk is an integration of the unity principles and the recovery principles. While although different um, different wisdom paths uh, for me, I think they're very compatible because they both encourage people to get to know themselves, to make a connection with a higher power that loves them and that is very present in their lives and that can help them. So that walk keeps uh, richly transforming my life and keeps me growing. So uh, again, it's just a delight to be sharing these wonderful guests with you and this hope and enthusiasm for the recovery process. Today, our program is Women in Recovery, Building a Life of Freedom and Meaning. When uh, women get in recovery, they are able to reclaim the dreams that were lost to addiction. And as they focus on self-care, emotional balance, healthy boundaries, and empowering spirituality, uh, women definitely um, create a life that is fulfilled and connected. My guest today um, knows a lot about women in recovery because she has been working in that field and is an author um, and has uh, just been very involved with that for many years. My guest is Brenda Eiliff. Brenda has um, a master's degree in counseling. She is a certified addictions counselor, and she has been an active treatment professional for over 20 years. Currently, she is serving as the executive director of Hazelden uh, Treatment Center in Naples, Florida, and she was the first clinical director of the Hazelden Women's Recovery Center on the Center City, Minnesota campus. Brenda has um, been very involved um, with direct service and with administration and program development um, for a number of years. She also... uh, has degrees in gerontology and works with uh, older adults in recovery and the special issues that they have. And while we may touch on that a little bit today, uh, I'm going to have her back and have her talk to us uh, for the whole program about older adults and the recovery issues that they have and what is possible um, even in that stage of life for recovery. Brenda is a native Minnesotan, and she did... uh, Receive her BA in gerontology and chemical dependency from Metro State University in Minneapolis and got her MA in counseling from Regent University in Virginia. She's worked with Hazelden um, since uh, 1994 and again has served in many different roles there again in direct service and also in administration and program development. Brenda is the author of A Woman's Guide to Recovery, which is published by Hazelden in 2006 and many other articles on addiction and recovery. She's a public speaker and a presenter on addiction issues. So, Brenda, thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, Anna, thank you for asking me. It's thrilling to come on your show and to reconnect with you personally, but also to talk about this really important subject. And I love that you've already started it out with how free do you want to be. You know, it's ultimately about freedom. That's right. That's right. And, you know, you have a, in your a book, A Woman's Guide to Recovery, you make an, um, uh, a powerful statement You uh, right in the beginning. You say addiction is 100% fatal. It's traumatic and it kills. It first kills a woman's spirit, then it screws up her emotions and messes with her mental abilities, and eventually it kills her physically. The downward spiral is sometimes a quick process, sometimes gradual, but it always moves in the same direction. But then, of course, in your very next paragraph, recovery from addiction is 100% possible. Recovery transforms lives, and women can have freedom, contentment, and serenity beyond their wildest dreams. So tell us about that. What's different for women that have the disease of addiction? Oh, you know, it's addiction's addiction. No matter what sex or gender we are, it, 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 it's addiction. But one thing we know about women is women get addicted differently. We, um, get, we start using for different reasons. We progress faster. We recover differently. And our relapse concerns are different. You know, many years ago, the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, back in 1939, wrote, 
women go down faster, you know, and it, but we didn't know why, but now the science is clearly telling us why. And you just sent me an article yesterday about, you know, women seek treatment. I think it said five years earlier generally than men do. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because we go down, so we don't live those extra five years because physiologically we're so different and we just can't handle the alcohol and drugs like men, like men do. Mm-hmm. What is it about uh, women's physiology that that makes them go down faster, has a different effect? And it's just a purely physical piece. The fact that we have less of an enzyme in our stomach that breaks down alcohol called the alcohol dehydrogenase enzyme. And it's just an enzyme in the stomach that breaks down alcohol. So we don't break it down as much. We are actually more efficient. We send that alcohol out into our system in a much more concentrated manner. And then once it's out in our system, we have more fat in our systems than water um, and than men do. So we absorb it better. So we're really more efficient. You know, we, we send more alcohol out into our system and we absorb it better. So that's why they say one drink for a woman is like, excuse me, one, yeah, let me say this right. One, one drink has twice the impact on a woman as it does on a man. And what it's saying is it doesn't mean she's necessarily drunk. You know, I used to think, well, generally women are smaller, and of course it's going to have more impact, but that's not what it's saying. It's saying if you have a 150-pound woman in front of you and a 150-pound man in front of you, that one drink it's going to go into her system more concentrated. She's going to absorb it better, and she's going to have more liver damage, more brain damage, more organ damage than a man, and more physical damage than a man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it really is important that women get into recovery as, as soon as possible. But there can be barriers in some ways to women getting in recovery. What, Absolutely. You know, the number one reason... <laughs> people don't go into treatment is because they don't want it. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's, that's really concerning, but a lot of times the reason they don't want it is because they don't really know about what addiction is. And we just had someone um, come tour our facility whose mother's a nurse, if you can believe this, and this man was like 40-ish. And he said, well, are you going to do electroshock therapy on me and will you lock me up? I mean, oh, this no. is a, yeah, this is just last week, mm-hmm. you know, and this is a fairly educated man, but some of that stigma is still out there. So people really, we need to get out and talk about what is addiction, but um, barriers can be for women. They can be a little bit different. They could be um, the fact that they might not have childcare. Mm-hmm. They could be the fact that they might not have children. And I remember hearing from learning from women over the years, they'd say, I'd say, I don't have any kids. I'm not bugging anybody. You know, leave me alone and stuff. So that, I mean, this disease of addiction can use anything. can be because they might be working part-time and don't have insurance, although that's going to be changing pretty pretty soon for most folks. Um, but in general, the, their role is central to the stability of the family or their networks. So even if they don't have a family, they're the main coordinators. So to go to way to treatment can be a real problem for folks, you know. That's why we're seeing so many women get into treatment through rooms in outpatient because they don't want to go away to treatment, and maybe they can't. They also are less likely to be involved in the legal system, and the legal system is the number one provider of treatment in the United States, you know. People do get treatment when they're in their legal system. Um, they may not qualify for for public treatment because they don't they are not into the legal system. Also, a lot of times people don't want to talk to women about their addiction problem. You know, especially if they have kids and they're missing work, they can always blame it on a sick kid. So there's a lot of reasons that that women may not be getting the help that men get. Also, they can hide in the less visible role in work. You know, they might um, be less visible, they might be less on the hierarchy, although that really is changing in our society. But there are clearly different barriers for treatment than women, with women and men. Right. And I, as you're saying, it has changed. It is. It used to be that, that sense that women could, quote, hide, at least some women could, quote, hide out at home. But now that women are obviously so much in the workplace, that's uh, probably, as, as you say, that's changing. 
What about the the social stigma or not? How is that, and and maybe how it's changed? I know from the early days in AA, um, there weren't hardly any women. There there was such a, a stigma. Women, you know, that there were some social labels and so forth. Do you think that's changing? Yes, definitely. You know, we we defined um, stigmas. Severe social disapproval. Now it's probably just more social disapproval. But like you said, in early, earlier times, um, women that were alcoholic were considered to be sluts or whores, and people would make judgments about their sexual um, values or sexual behavior based on the fact that they were alcoholic. And even in early AA, the wives of the male alcoholics did not want the male alcoholics hanging around with female alcoholics because they thought they were loose women. And in fact, early, early AA, some of the wives of the the non-alcoholic wives would sponsor the alcoholic women until the alcoholic women could start sponsoring alcoholic um, women. You know, you said that um, female addiction and alcoholics, years ago it was more invisible, you know, mom or aunt or somebody was at home and and they might have been using cocaine back in the early 1900s yes you know women have always gotten into the diet pills or the stimulants (laughs) and um you know that's a whole different issue for women than for men but now that people would hide you know crazy aunt lucy away at home but now aunt lucy's out working so there's more of a visible women are more visible but they still have the stigma for instance, if we talk about dad who's drunk, mm-hmm. getting a very different picture than mom who's on meth or mom mm-hmm. who's drunk. And, you know, watch the papers. Women are more likely to get DUIs with children. Well, that's, you know, there's more stigma with that. But also women are more likely to be the caretakers of children. So, you know, parents fathers may not have them. Um, Years ago, there was a study done by um, Dr. George Valiant, who is still very active in um, researching, and um, he's the the person that did the study of the longest history. Um, He's followed the most men over the years on alcoholism, a longitudinal study, just a very, very impressive study. But um, the Jelnik, the little magazine of AA, sent out surveys, and the little magazine is called the um, AA Grapevine. And they mailed out a bunch of surveys, and now that would never happen because AA would not do that. But they received replies from 158 people, 45 of those were invalid. But of those people, of those, and this is just a real informal survey, but of those people, 98 98 people said, this is the way my addiction works. 15 people said, wait, 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 this is the way my addiction worked. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to base most treatment on what did those 98 people say? And you know what was the difference between those 98 people and the 15? What's that? They're, go ahead. Their gender. You know. Uh-huh. You know yeah. huh. that, that their gender was the 15 were women. Yes, addiction's different. So even back then we were seeing it's different. And, you know, in treatment centers, I remember, you know, in the early late 1990s, early 2000s. I mean, we clearly knew that old piece of bring them down and break, you know, break them down and build them up. That does not work for women. It doesn't work for most men, too. But Hold um, on to that thought. It's time for our break. But when we come back, we're going to hear about what does work for women in treatment. My guest is Brenda Eiliff, and our topic is Women in Recovery, Building a Life of Freedom and Meaning. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We'd like to take a moment to encourage you, as part of our Unity Online radio family of listeners, to support this ministry through a love offering. For your convenience, you can make one-time or recurring monthly donations. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for your support. Guidance and direction are bubbling up from your soul all the time, even at night. But do you hear your soul when it calls? Do you recognize it? 
Do you trust it? Can you trust it? How can you be certain you are hearing the voice of your precious soul? Janet Connor teaches five wisdom habits that help you hear your soul, recognize and trust its guidance, and begin to take action to create a truly beautiful life. Learn the wisdom habit of divine dialogue in Writing Down Your Soul. How to live a life of integrity in Soul Vows. And discover your soul's unique purpose in Check the Box. If you long to create a soul-directed life, visit JanetConnor.com and explore all five courses in her signature series, Your Soul Wants Five Things. Are you tired of life slamming the door in your face? Did you get another rejection letter, pink slip, foreclosure notice, or go on yet another bad date? Does it seem like the older you get, the more hopeless life seems? Are you ready to stop taking no as your final answer? Then join us for Design Your Life, a talk show by Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach. Go into the locker room for one full hour with the championship coach every week and start designing your winning playbook that will make the rest of your life the best of your life. That's Design Your Life with Kevin Cottrell Ross, the coach's coach, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Central Time on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. the spirit of recovery i'm very glad that you're listening with us today and if you're just joining us our topic is women in recovery building a life of freedom and meaning and my guest is brenda Iliff. brenda is the executive director of the hazelden treatment program in naples florida um, and she is the former she was actually the first director of the women's center the women's treatment center at um, hazelden on the Minnesota campus. Brenda's got more than 20 years of experience in the addiction field in direct service and in program development and management and administration. And um, she uh, also is the author of the book, Women's Guide to Re- A Woman's Guide to Recovery, which is published by Hazelden. And she just has a wealth of information and experience to share with us. Before I get back to my conversation with Brenda, I invite you to join me in the Serenity Minute to take just a moment with me to relax, to share with me a constructive idea, and to sit for a moment in the silence. So I do invite you to take a breath, to relax, and to share this constructive idea. I find my true power by connecting with life. I find my true power by connecting with with life. Now we take a moment in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I hope that that was an opportunity for you to relax, to open up to that presence and that power that is life that's in the very midst of your life and all around you. So now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Brenda Iliff, about women in recovery. 
So, uh, Brenda, before the break, you were telling us about uh, sort of some of the old break-em-down methods that people used to use in treatment with the best of intentions, but whatever, and uh, how that doesn't work for women. So tell us about what does work for women and about the Women's Recovery Center at Hazelden and how that got going and what it was like, and now there's some new things happening with that as well. Absolutely. You know, one of the things about um, any good treatment program is the focus needs to be on addiction. And so in treating women, we need to look at how is it different for women, because it is, but it's still addiction. Um, One of the things that is important for the listeners to know is that Hazleton's been treating women for many, many years. But in 2006, we really went out of the box with really looking at um, environment of the units that we had the women on expanding because we were getting so many calls. You know, more women were seeking treatment, and that was such a gift. But we, they had to wait for treatment, and that was not okay, you know. And um, we're thrilled to say that, you know, the two boards of Hazelton and Betty Ford have, have decided to merge, and right now that's before regulatory boards. Um, but hopefully we'll be merged with with Betty Ford by the end of this year. And who better did things for stigma with women and addiction than Betty Ford? So um, when we were doing the Women's Recovery Center, what we looked at, it was kind of like doing a fourth and fifth step. You know, every in any good treatment center, you're going to constantly be assessing and reassessing and finding out what works, what doesn't work, doing research, looking at the best practices, looking at what does the new research in the field say. I mean, that's just part of being normal operations, but in getting feedback from clients on what's working. But what we were able to do was kind of like do a fourth and fifth step where I say normally every year we do a tenth step, you know, what's working, what's not, what do we need to change, but really looking at what what's best interest for, for women now that we're, we're really doing this um, big time, or more longer term and stuff. And... Um, what we found is obviously we need to focus on the addiction, um, but t- women have different physical needs, so we need people that can help them address that because the physical needs can also lead to relapse. When you have hormonal imbalances and your head's going, your emotions are going wacky, that is not a reason to relapse, but it can be an issue that could lead to relapse. Women also have uh, different mental health needs than men. Um, generally, depression and anxiety are very common for anybody who comes to treatment. Part of it is because of the disease of addiction. You know, it really gets people, I mean, life gets to be a mess, but some of people have that, those concerns before the addiction, and um, we need to continue to treat them, and the same is true with the anxiety. But the two that women self-report more, it doesn't mean they have it more, because the stats are telling us, at least with the men, the binge eating disorders are similar to that of the women, but nobody talks about it. But um, the two mental health issues that women report more are eating disorders and trauma. And that can really impact how people do treatment. For instance, if one of the differences between women and men with trauma, yes, men have had trauma. But usually, not always, but usually their trauma is by known, known enemies, such as in the war. You know, you know that's your enemy, mm-hmm. such as criminal activity. Um, such as gain. Um, sometimes it's by people who say they love them too. And that's where that whole trust factor can really get um, confusing for people. Generally, women's um, trauma is by someone who says they love them. Real different approach to dealing with trauma with that. Um, also, spiritual needs are different for women. You know, the, the term, you know, the, the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol or in Narcotics Anonymous drugs or in Overeaters Anonymous food or whatever it is, you know, the, um, but the first step uses the word powerless. And a lot of women have, have spent most of their life feeling powerless, so they hear that term and they kind of start to freak out. And so part of treatment is starting to educate women. First step talks about powerlessness in these certain situations. But to be honest, if you want to see women with power, look at women in recovery. Mm-hmm. Those are women whose spirits are free, who have found their voice, who, um, you know, have a mission. I mean, I love what we just meditated on, that, you know, one thing we know is that 
addiction st- is a uh, is stops people from connection and spirituality is about connecting with oneself well when you're an active woman that's an addict you are not connecting with yourself you know you have no idea what your intuition says because the addictions between you and your intuition um, spirituality is about connection with others we may pretend we're connecting but we're sure feeling alone in the world and then spirituality is about connection with a higher power or the greater world or the world around us. And when we're in active addiction, we just can't do that. So a good treatment looks at all that. How is it different spiritually, mental health-wise, physically, and emotionally for women? Yes, post-acute withdrawal happens with both sexes. Those early emotions are up and down, up and down. Yes, the 12 steps works equally for, for both both genders. But there are some differences. For instance, um, one of the things we know about women is that they're created different, and I don't mean just sexually. Um, our brains are also very different. And um, with, with every brain, um, when it's in utero, every brain starts out as a female brain. I don't know if you knew that. but I didn't know that. No. Every brain. So Jeff, our engineer, his brain <laughs> at eight weeks was a female brain, just like yours and mine were a female brain. Uh-huh. But at eight weeks, what happens to that little male brain is testosterone gets injected. And that's where um, several things happen. Um, you know, obviously, some of it's sexual organs and stuff. But what happens in that little tiny brain that they're able to find now is that the communication center shrinks once testosterone gets in there. The hearing cortex shrinks, and the sex part of the brain becomes two and a half times as large. That's a big difference. I know you're laughing, and I'm hoping some of our (laughs) listeners are laughing. But that's separate than any way that we're raised. It's separate than any culture. It's separate than any religion. That's how we're created. Our little brains are very different. And that's why we can say women are wired for connection because our connection centers stay big, our hearing cortex, our communication center stays very large. And that impacts how we do life, you know. And the one thing that will cut us off from connection with ourselves, with others, and with the world around us is, is addiction. It just gets smacked smack dab in the middle. And recovery is about starting to open up that connection again. But that's why we say recovery is a natural for women because it brings them back to their natural state, which is about connection. Huh. That's amazing. I didn't know all that. That's, that's amazing. Well, what were some of the things that, um, that are done in women's treatment that address those that might be different from how people do treatment for men? Well, you know, with with men in treatment, they may need to work on letting go of control. Now, obviously, this is a continuum for all because some women really need to look at letting go of control, you know, and letting putting down the control. But many women, instead of learn, working on letting go of control, they might have to learn to take some control and to start to rely and take some of their power back. Men may need to work on identifying feelings. Women... They, they're pretty good about identifying their feelings. They may need to work more on the whole program of action. doesn't matter how you feel. I mean, it does, and I want to hear how you feel, but you still need to go to a meeting, even when you don't feel like it. You know, it's very different focus. Um, with men, um, they may need to let go of that whole being powerful. You know, many men especially, and we work at, with at Hazleton, Florida, with a lot of CEO, executive types, as well as people that don't have any resources. But um, they may need to look at that idea of letting go of of the power or at least bluffing that they have the power, where women may need to look at becoming empowered. And I tell you, you know, women talk a lot about, I don't have any self-esteem. But you get women into recovery, and those women have self-esteem. Once we're, you know, we start to do esteemable acts, we start to reach out to others, Also, the whole piece about taking care of oneself. Um, Men may need to learn how to be, um, not necessarily to be kind, but to do service. You know, think about somebody else. Women may need to learn to think think about themselves because until we truly are able to take care of ourselves, we really can't be there for others. You know, the big book talks about 
weren't we trying to manipulate even when we were kind? We may think we're the most kind person in the world, but until we're genuine and addiction-free and living a spiritual life, we're, we're really not kind. So caring for others. You know, men may need to learn some about caring for others, women about self. Respecting others. Women may need to learn to respect themselves. They, most women have been trained to take care of others. Now, that's not necessarily true with the younger generation. So then you're talking about some different things. But when you talk about the older, working with older, older adults, but even our generation, it's, we're, we're pretty much taught to defer to men. And, um, and that might be what we have to do in the real world or not. But recovery gives people a chance to live a real um, genuine life and um, get, into, get into program of action. You know, there's two parts to recovery. Um, the Alcoholics Anonymous program is based on the fellowship, which is about connection. I mean, notice the word fellowship, mm-hmm. you know, fellows. <laughs> um, yeah. So sometimes with women, I really try to use the word connection. You mm-hmm. know, it's based on connection. Big Book says we, we are like a shipwreck, and we are so bonded because we survived this shipwreck. And you see that all the time with people in recovery. Um, but we wouldn't have stayed so bonded if we didn't have a similar mission. And that's where the program of action comes in, the, the working, the 12 steps, a similar pur- purpose in life. So the fellowship and the program of action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My uh, recollection is from uh, having visited Hazelden and actually gone to school there, is that in the Women's Recovery Center that the, the physical configuration is a little different than it is on the units where men receive treatment. Is that Am I recollecting that right? And you if are so- right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we wanted to get away from the straightness of, um, not that the other units are institutional looking, but, you know, treatment is getting more into more and more into real life. And, um, you know, got a lot of feedback from stakeholders, from alumni. What do you think this place needs to look look like? Um, what was helpful, you know? And we, we realized that... Um, you know, curved walls, I mean, a lot of that's art, and that, that can be real expensive, you know, to do the curved walls and all that piece. But it really gave women, I remember the day we opened the new building and we moved, you know, the women over, and one gal just cried. She said, you know, I came from a crack house, and here I am in this. The environment of care is real important, wherever people are, wherever people are. Um what we found out with, and Hazelton really does take pride in that whole environment of care and respect and dignity, and, and that starts with safe physical plants, but also um, being pleasing and, and comfortable. Um, and, um, I, you know, when we were planning, things like on most of the units there was two telephone booths. You know, that's not enough with women. Women need to be able to connect with their, remember we talked about they're the central stabilizing factors in their network. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to be able to keep contact with that. With women, some of them, when you've got a two-year-old child, right now we have a lady coming to treatment at Hazleton, Florida, who's going to be coming to day treatment. Why? Because she's nursing her, uh, not a two-year-old, but a, a, young, a young child. So her husband's flying down with her. They're going to stay in a hotel, and she'll go home at lunch, come back in the afternoon. I mean, with women, you need to be a little more flexible. So some women do really well, you know, flying to Minnesota to a very strong immersion program in um, chemical dependency. But some women need the flexibility of a program like Florida where you can live here, but you can also live off-site and meet other demands. One of the other pluses with the the women's unit up there, we did four telephone booths because those booths were a constant um, source of friction, you know, and um, they people want to connect with their networks. It's okay to connect with your networks. Um, looking at special women's lectures, you know, some what we found is we did women's lectures every day in the afternoon, you know, started right out of the gate. But what we found is hope is hope, you know, that we can do women and men's hope lectures together. Or addiction is addiction. But women in addiction is different. And as you do better programming for women, you start to do better programming for men. So I'd say, well, what special issues do the men need to talk about? 
you know, because what we found for women, you need special times. One of the powerful things that I saw happen over and over again was you start to talk about eating disorders in lecture, and you talk about it more than once, and you, what you do is you take away a lot of the shame. Because I'll tell you, women will tell you what drugs they're using, but they ain't going to tell you what they're eating or what they're not eating or their rituals around food. But if you can start to educate that that's not necessarily healthy, but it's really common with women because that whole body image thing and then the people who've had bariatric surgery and are more likely to become alcoholics and become alcoholics. and I mean, it's just those the eating disorders and chemical dependency go so much together. And what we found is, as people would do information sharing on eating disorders or on trauma, people would self-identify, and you totally take away a lot. You don't take away all the shame because there is shame there, but it sure helps it. And sometimes women would come to the lecture and they'd say, I don't have an eating disorder. You know what? You, you might not, but let's, you know, what's a half hour of information really? And a lot of your sisters do. So it might be helpful for you to get to know something about it. So Great. Hang on to that. It's time for our break. And we'll be back and uh, hear some more about uh, some of the issues that women face in recovery and the great stuff that happens um, as women find their power in the recovery process. My guest is Brenda Iliff. We're talking about women in recovery. Stay with us. We'll be right back. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Are you ready for deeper spiritual breakthroughs? Have you wondered how to apply spiritual principles to your everyday life in practical ways? Do you feel your soul is calling you to deeper purposes? Join Reverend Galen McDowell live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central for Truth Transforms, a discussion on how God within you, as you, is the power to transform your life. If you really believe that consciousness determines your experiences and that you are an individualized expression of God, join us as we help awaken and transform the consciousness of humanity. We will discuss, through lecture, live interviews and call-in questions, spiritual healing, prayer, prosperity, forgiveness, new thought views about eternal life, and much more. The world is waiting for your truth transformation, only on Unity Online Radio. Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with your host, Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. And now, here's Anna. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're listening here with us today. And if you're just joining us, our topic is Women in Recovery, Building a Life of Freedom and Meaning. And my guest is Brenda Eiliff. Brenda is the Executive Director of the Hazelden Treatment Program in Naples, Florida. She was the very first director of the Women's Recovery Center at Hazelden, Minnesota, and in, in Minnesota. And um, she has... Have, Many, many years of experience in the addiction field, uh, in direct service as uh, an administrator and um, program management and development. And she is the author of the book, A Woman's Guide to Recovery, which is published by Hazelden. So, uh, Brenda, before the break here, you were talking to us about there is... There is a connection with uh, eating disorders and uh, other substance addictions and 
So how does that play out in treatment and what can women um, do about that? Oh, man, there's a huge connection. You know, as eating disorders become more severe, the substances increase. So particularly with people who are more likely to binge, alcohol may be more likely um, their, their drug of choice or people who are more likely to diet and purge um, the stimulants and sedatives because they want to lose the weight. And I've seen people over the years that there is no way they're going to get sober unless they get their eating disorder, some help for their eating disorder. Um, Because particularly, you know, it's so intermingled for a lot of folks where um, seeing seeing women that may have, um, you know, been... um, Oh, overweight, I may have had the gastric bypass, um, lost the weight, became sexual, but they have trauma, um, and so they might over, um, over, you know, that may scare them, and they start eating again, and they gain the weight, or the way people metabolize alcohol after they've had the gastric bypass is very different. So I like years ago in the Women's Recovery Center, there was one time one of the units, which the units are about 20, 25 people, a quarter of the people on that unit, that's a lot of people when you think about it, um, on just that one unit, let alone the other four units, had had gastric bypass and were not alcoholics before the gastric bypass, and I'm not saying anything bad about gastric bypass, but... Um, were not before they had the gastric bypass and became alcoholic afterwards. And that's because of the way people metabolize the alcohol. It's very different. You don't need near as much. Um, In fact, the National Institute of Health did a study, and they found that people who've had bariatric surgery, now there's different types of bariatric surgery, but people who've had bariatric surgery overall were two to three times more likely to become addicted than the normal population. Huh. And we'd have women come in, and they'd say, but I never had a drinking problem before. And we'd think, oh, denial, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and talk to their their families. And their families were like, no, they didn't. And then as we learn more and more about the way the body metabolizes alcohol after the surgery, it can be very serious for folks. So that's a lot of times why they recommend um, people don't drink. But, you know, seeing women over the years where, They'll say, well, I was anorexic when I was young, but I haven't done that for years. And then we'll say, well, when did you start the cocaine? Oh, when I was 17. When did the anorexia, you know, go underground or whatever? Oh, when I was 17. I mean, there, a lot of women will go from one addiction to the other. And and so we, we really need to look at that. Um, it can be something that brings people back to chemicals. Um mm-hmm. You know, the whole, well, I'm gaining weight, I don't want to gain weight, but I know cocaine works or meth works or heroin or, or you know, I want to be able to purge. Well, alcohol can help me purge, and it can really be a, a, a very strong recovery concern for people. It's also how free do you want to be, you know, mm-hmm. if um, many women, and, and men too, but women we tend to focus a little bit more on, are in treatment. And they're sneaking food to their rooms or they're, you know, um, because food can be so comforting. Nothing wrong with eating. We have to eat. But what the research is saying now is for some people, not everybody, but for some people that certain chemicals from certain foods hit certain parts of the brain. And it's like an addict, you know, that there's, there's a lot of debate in the field right now about eating disorders and food addiction, but it seems like... Some people can be both, and Mm -hmm. if you're a food addict, that's where the 12-step programs can be helpful. If it's just eating disorder, that's where therapy can be helpful. You know, some people need education. A lot of folks with abnormal eating, all they need is education, and that's great, and it works for them, and they're taught to eat, and away they go. Some folks more with abnormal eating uh, might have trauma underneath it, and that could be eating disorders. They need therapy. That you know, they need the education, but also the therapy. But some folks, when you're talking an addiction model, folks need education about the addiction model. But they also need, might need therapy. But they need fellowship. You know, mm-hmm. every client that we see here, they get education. You know, in Florida, in Center City, in Oregon, in New York, in Chicago, at Betty Ford. You know, they get education. What is addiction? 
but then they also get therapy. How do I personalize this to my life? But the real magic starts to come when they get connected with other alcoholics and addicts and they start to give back and start to connect with the world. So education, therapy, and fellowship. And with eating disorders, that can be very effective also. But first we need to educate people about it and um, and help them see. Sometimes I'll ask people to do a first step that combines their eating with their addic- um with their alcohol or combines their gambling or combines their relationships. You know, those whole timeline things can be really, really important. I'm also a certified multiple addiction therapist, so you can see I'm kind of moving. Even though at at Hazleton we treat chemical dependency, you know, our mission is to bring hope, health, and healing to people affected by addiction to alcohol and drugs. But what I've seen over the years is the other addictions get people back to to alcohol and drugs. So what are we doing to help them with those. Right. If there is uh, a person that may be hearing this uh, program and uh, perhaps they're already in recovery um, one way or the other and they're discovering that food might be an issue for them, what would be an easy way for them to start to make their first a first connection with some assistance for that? Oh, some really good research or information out there. If they're looking more at the research and um, help around... Um, you know, eating disorders, you've got the um, Eating Disorders Association. If they're looking more um, around food addiction, you've got um, the Food Addiction Institute, which does research on food addiction, very 12-step, um, encourages 12-step, um, www.foodaddiction.com. Um, also, you've got, you know, 12-step groups that they might want to explore, and they're very different in different parts of the country. So Canada's got strong anorexics and bulimics anonymous. Minnesota, or not Minnesota, the United States, I haven't really found it strong anywhere. In some parts of the country, it might be food addicts anonymous. In other parts of the country, it might be eating disorders anonymous. In other parts of the country, um, the most common probably is overeaters anonymous, but then there's different... Um, formats of that. Some are more structured. Some folks need more structured. Lots of telephone meetings. Um, but I would I would Google food addiction, overeating, anorexia. Um, but clearly, the Food Addiction Institute would be a place that people could start to get some information. Right. Great. Yeah. Thank you so much. And in the end, I know the primary focus uh, for you, Brenda, is the spirituality, and you've shared some with us about that today. But uh, what else could you uh, leave us with today about women and spirituality and how they can really find that and use that in, for full recovery? And as you say, how free do you want to be? Absolutely. So, how free do you want to be? You know, and that, that can start with just a connection with one woman sharing the secret, whatever that secret is, whether it's around chemicals, food, trauma, whatever. Um, and then generally what happens is, is the connection grows, so there's more women, eventually with men, for some people with a higher power. You know, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. But the question is, how free do you want to be? And I think we sometimes make it so complicated, like it's this, huge thing but what i found is for most people there's a moment of grace that that it starts with grace that gives them the willingness to do what's the next action and the next action may be to get on the internet make a phone call reach out to someone but then that little action what's the next right step gives them the willingness to do the next action which gives them the willingness and eventually, all those little tiny actions that lead to the next willingness to do the next little action, it's a program of action, you know, add up and people say, wow, I'm living a life beyond my wildest dreams. I am truly free. And that doesn't mean that we don't have days where we're grouchy and crabby, and, but, you know, we do our 10 steps, we, um, we talk to other women in recovery. I mean, I think one of the miracles that I've heard year after year after year of women in recovery is, you know, they come in and they'll say, I just connect with men. That's all I connect with. I don't need to be with a bunch of women. And, um, but, with, you know, 30 days later, 50 days later, it's like, wow, I'm connected. And that can be a big gift of recovery. I'm connected. I worked with a counselor once that said, men will look at your ass, but women will save your ass. 
<laughs> Isn't that great? Parts of yeah, that's a good there, one. but it's true. It's and it and true. eventually, just like Bill Wilson says, eventually we become citizens of the world that rejected us. So there's stigma in the world. Big deal, you know. Um, I need to be kind and loving. I need to be tolerant. I need to be. So much of the 12-step program is is about tolerance, love, kindness, goodness, um, very spiritual principles. And they only work if we, if we work them. So thank you for bringing a message of spirituality because no matter what we do, it all goes back to that connection. Mm-hmm. It does. Brenda, thank you so much for um, the work that you do in the world. Thank you for the hope and the inspiration that you bring uh, to people in recovery and for being such a wonderful uh, support beyond that. I can't think of the word right now, but to help people uh, in their recovery and to help them stay in recovery. Uh, oh, thank, thank you so much. You. Thanks for thank being my guest. for bringing the message, Anna. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, great. And again, we have been talking about uh, women in recovery. My guest is Brenda Eiliff, is the executive director of Hazelden Naples, the author of the book, A Woman's Guide to Recovery. And uh, Brenda, I'm going to have you back to talk with us about older adults in recovery because I know that's another specialty area for you. So... Um, Listeners, thank you for being with us today, and God bless. We'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. Committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard, isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy? Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show, and I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists and students from Unity Institute and Seminary. Topics like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care, religion and politics, current events. Yeah, but they'll all be Unity people, right? Dr. Tom and his students will talk about the hard questions facing all people today, sometimes joined by rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? Better, he's going to introduce a controversial topic and let students and special guests go for it. This could get explosive. Does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights? (laughs) If I know Dr. Tom, he will keep it both friendly and spirited. Whoa, I gotta hear this. When and where? The program is called Let's Talk About It, and it's on every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio. So let's talk about it. Definitely, let's. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard, isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy? Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show, and I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists and students from Unity Institute and Seminary. Topics like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care, religion and politics, current events. Yeah, but they'll all be unity people, right? 
Dr. Tom and his students will talk about the hard questions facing all people today, sometimes joined by rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? Better, he's going to introduce a controversial topic and let students and special guests go for it. This could get explosive. Does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights? (laughs) If I know Dr. Tom, he will keep it both friendly and spirited. Whoa, I gotta hear this. When and where? The program is called Let's Talk About It, and it's on every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio. So let's talk about it. Definitely, let's. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.